never gonna give you up, never gonna let you down, never gonna turn around and desert, desert you. you. Yeah. What is going on, baseball fans? My name is Jack, joined here by Lorenzo and producer Wilson. Sadly, welcome back to We Dot Ice. I um, just licked my microphone. It was, it was bad. It was bad. Don't do that. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. We are in the midst of the playoffs. Everything is great. How are we doing? Everything is granite, some would say. Or that's what I would say. Mm. I'm doing good. Playoff baseball is live and well. This is our first podcast since the wild card game. Because honestly, it's kind of hard to do podcasts during the playoffs. You don't know when to post them or do them. It happens so fast. Yeah. yeah so today we're doing AL. <laughs> AL. AL catch up. <laughs> yeah. AL ketchup, and tomorrow is NL mustard. Dude, I was going to make that joke way to mm-hmm. take the layup. I Same set you level. an alley-oop right there. You slammed it home. Good job. Today is a Saturday, and this is going live on Saturday, right? Yeah. This is going live on Saturday. Yes. So, happy Saturday, everyone listening. The biggest issue I've had today is it feels like a Sunday. There's no Red Sox game today, and my life is kind of crumbling apart because of that. Today, I took... I went to take a shower, and I leaned against the shower stall while the water was getting hot for, I think, an hour, and I was just on TikTok. And then by the time I realized it had been an hour, I just came back here, and I'm now I'm doing the podcast, and I didn't shower. I love that for you. But I think the most, like, the most confusing time in any person's life is the 17 seconds it takes for your shower to warm because you just stand mm-hmm. there like, what do I do? It's so awkward because it's like you don't you're not gonna have your phone on you because you're about to get in the shower. Yeah. But you're also naked. It's like I just stand there and I just stare in the mirror and I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> it's a very vulnerable moment. It is a vulnerable moment. But let's get vulnerable yeah. on this podcast today. First, before True. we get vulnerable with the boys, we got some people we need to thank Jack, the people who bring you every episode of the We Got Us podcast, the ones we love the most, our newest patrons. Thank you. To CJ, Liam, I'm going to butcher this one. A lot of names I'm going to butcher right here. Cycler? Cycler, I'm going to go with. Tyler Vandiver, Angela, and then Drew Snook. So we appreciate all of you guys for helping support the show and bringing this podcast to you lovely listeners. If you also want to help support the show, head over to patreon.com slash today. $1 a month for the entire playoffs. You get access to a baseball-exclusive Discord server. We get to hang out with me and Jack, as well as a shout-out on this here podcast. $5 a month gets you an extra episode of the podcast. Ten episodes are already backlogged waiting to be listened. We draft lawn games. We draft foods, ice cream, all that fun stuff. And you get a free sticker. So patreon.com slash we got ice today. Help support the show. Let's talk some yes. baseball. $5 patrons have my heart and we love I may be taking all of them to prom. Our big cubes are built different, man. Yes, the big cubes and the little cubes. But become a cube nonetheless. Thank you cube for supporting all of our patrons. The AL has been very fun. So I think we, we go hot tub time, hot tub time machine. I'm struggling to talk today. Bear with me. Bear with me, everyone. Hot tub time machine. Um, back to the wild card. Because we, I mean, that was the best day of the playoffs so far for us. Yeah, we live streamed the entire game on TikTok ad. We got ice baseball on TikTok. And it was a lot of fun. Like, we were live for the whole three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. It could not have gone better as a Red Sox fan. It feels a little outdated to be talking about it now, but we can just do a couple seconds on it. 
Avaldi shoved. One thing that I just obviously wanted to get to is we knew this before the game, but the Yankees had a tip on Nathan Avaldi heading into the game. They knew his pitches. They knew what they had a tip on his breaking ball and his fastball. And it showed first pitch of the game, Anthony Rizzo, 113 mile per hour ground up to Bobby Dahlback. He knew a fastball was coming. He got it. And for the entire five and one third innings, one run that Avaldi went, the Yankees knew what was coming every pitch, which made it that much more impressive that he was able to absolutely deal around them. Yeah. I don't know all the details about the tip. I don't know if they necessarily knew what was coming every pitch, but their game plan was definitely swing at the first pitch every time because I think the first three innings every Yankees batter swung at the first pitch and I was like what What? like maybe throw a ball the first pitch like they're clearly doing that but Eovaldi was pounding the zone the green monster played great defense and the Red Sox it it wasn't a blowout but it kind of was a blowout it was a weird game so a few few key things I want to hit on Eovaldi survived that game because his location was stunning he was just dotting up and away fastballs all day. And it's like, even if you know 99, it's like the old saying, yeah, you know it's coming, but can you hit it? 99 up and in, that's a strike. It doesn't matter who's throwing it to you. You can't hit that. Even if you know it's coming, no one yeah. can hit that. It's like an impossible pitch. So he executed so perfectly. If the Yankees didn't have a towel, I bet he probably goes like seven innings shutty. Like that, he was that on his game that night. It was crazy to see and crazy to watch. Stanton. Deserved better in that game. He was a freaking monster. Should have had free home runs. The Green Monster played, like you said, great defense. Gold Glove Award. The Yankees overall, Garrett Cole. A lot of questions about the Yankees coming up this offseason. What do you do with that team, man? Ton of talent. Ton of money invested. Weird state to be in. Like, there's a quote that got me all riled up. Got a lot of people on like Twitter riled up. Aaron Boone saying the league closed the gap on us. That tweet made me like an angry Red Sox fan. I was like, what gap have you had? Like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about on that? So I feel like organizationally, I like their roster. I do. I don't hate their roster. But I feel like organizationally, there needs to be some big changes in there because the Red Sox weren't supposed to make the playoffs this year. The Yankees were supposed to win 100 games doing the division. And they got bounced with their ace on the mound to the to Boston with J.D. Martinez out of the lineup. So that was tough. Yeah, you got to blow it up. I got to blow it up. You have to. I don't know if they're gonna, but you have you have to make a lot of changes either with the lineup or in the front office. Um, but the team that did win, the Red Sox, they showed up and then they moved on to the ALDS against the Rays, which going in, it's like very the oh whoever who cares about the wild card, the Rays are about to beat everyone up real good. And they didn't. Uh, quickly, last thing I want to talk about at the wild card is just some of the moves that, like, the trade deadline was a big point of contention earlier in the season. Um, Red Sox and Yankees had very different trade deadlines, how they approached it. I'm not doing this segment to be, like, a Red Sox fan who's, like, rubbing his butt in Yankees fans' faces. I'm just genuinely interested by how this has developed and some of the moves moves high and blue made compared to the moves brian cashman made and i think it is a good reflection on where these two teams are organizationally anthony rizzo was a great pickup for the yankees i still love that pickup i think he's the reason they were even in that wild card game the energy but moves like rizzo and gallo very odd moves for a team that clearly wasn't destined for anything they played sluggish all season 
they didn't give up a ton, but they were just like really win now moves compared to the Red Sox, who me and you were critical of, a lot of people were critical of. They traded for Schwarber and they traded for Robles, Hansel Robles, who nobody really accounted for. You know, Jack Hansel Robles hasn't given up an earned run since August 30th. And Schwarber hit a bomb off Derek Cole. Schwarber has a 900 OPS with the Red Sox. He is the best bat that was picked up at the deadline. And I'm going to argue Robles was the best reliever picked up at the deadline. He's been more effective than Craig Kimbrough has been with the White Sox. Like mm. different roles, obviously, but he's been nasty. And he's pitching eighth inning. He's the eighth inning guy on the Red Sox as they move on to attempt to win a World Series. So they gave up a cash for the guy. So those are two really good moves by Bloom. And the only reason that I think we're here. So good time to look back and check the scoreboard on that. Yeah. And another huge thing, probably the biggest storyline of the game. Derek Cole goes two innings, $324 million man or whatever it is, goes two innings and sucked. It's the thing that frustrated me, and I feel like frustrated a lot of Yankees fans. It's like a baseball guy. Is Garrett Cole is so damn talented, but he pitched so timid. It was like he was like afraid to attack anybody. He was just like pitching around everybody all the time. And I was like, what are you doing, dude? You have one of the best yeah. fastballs in the game. Just throw it. But, I mean, when he did throw it, though, like, he got knocked around a couple times, and then he was just sure. like, I'm not doing it. He didn't He he didn't have it. He didn't. And, unfortunately, you can't not have it in a one-game wild card. That's uh, kind of the moment where you got to have it. But the Red Sox yeah. beat the Yankees. Me and Jack rejoiced. The live stream, the whole thing. It was the best night of the year for me, honestly. And then Red Sox versus Tampa Bay Rays. We are two games into the ALDS. The series is tied 1-1. Talk about a tale of two games. Game one. The Rays absolutely outclassed the Red Sox. They went 6-0. It honestly felt like 20 to nothing the entire game. It was crazy. Yeah. Shane McClanahan started for the Rays, a rookie kid, a kid who basically debuted last year in the playoffs, not somebody that anybody had penciled in. It's like an ace of a staff. He shoved against the Red Sox to start the game. Rodriguez looked terrible. And this Rays just raid. Yeah. This was kind of the... This was the Rays' first playoff game, and it was the, okay, Randy Rosarena, Wander Franco, Nelson Cruz, Strain McClanahan, most of those guys are rookies, which is insane. There's, they came to play. They're doing their thing. It was a 6 nothing game, but it, as you said, it felt, like, it felt like one of those games where the Rays are going to go on to win the World Series. Like, this was, was the that. Randy game. It was the Randy game. He stole home, um, hit a home run. But it, my overall emotion was just absolute fear. Oh, fear for sure. They look like a well-oiled machine, dominant. Randy Rosarena, the most hype play in playoff baseball since last year when he scored Game 4 walk-off, sliding into home on a Brett Phillips hit because it was a crazy play. So mm. Randy Rosarena is a rookie with 11 career postseason home runs. The guy is built different. He's basically Mr. October at this point. Sorry, Reggie Jackson. He's taken that name. He's been so dominant. Like he's, you said— He's senor— He's Senor Octubre. <laughs> Senor Octubre. I like that. Mm -hmm. But like what you said, the Rays' recipe for Game 1 and Game 2, in my opinion, were pretty similar. Rookie on the mound or young kid on the mound with incredible stuff, and they're just going to do what the Rays do. The difference is how the Red Sox played against them. Now, the Rays are the better team. Pitching-wise, I think offensively when they're all clicking, maybe the Red Sox have a slight edge, but it's pretty even. And then bullpen, it's not even close. It's the Rays. So, and even manager, I might go Cashman over Cora. But looking at 
how they played game one and game two with pretty similar formulas. We're going to go rookie to start the game. Hopefully he gets through. We're going to score runs. Ray scored six runs, which usually wins you a game. And our bullpen is going to shove. The difference is the Red Sox offense actually showed up in this game. And comparatively, the Red Sox had two very similar starts. Rodriguez, one and two thirds. Chris Sale, one inning pitch, five earned runs. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So in a weird way, if you were to like look at the start of both games and how both teams approach it, it was the exact same. The only difference was the Red Sox had 20 hits in game two. Yeah, I mean, if you get 20 hits in a game, you're going to win. You're going to win. Even when it's against the Rays. Chris Sale looked so bad. And I guess after so we bad. go through the game, we could talk about the Red Sox starter issues. But they get, how many runs do they score? 14? 14 runs on 20 hits. Yeah, so it's kind of pretty poetic. The first game, it's 6 to nothing, And you said that normally wins you the game. Second game, the Rays score 6. But the Red Sox, instead of scoring 0 runs, they score 14. And I've been saying this all year long, or all postseason long at least. The Red Sox are not going to win unless they score like 10 runs. Unless True. the offense, they're such a streaky team. If they're going to score a bunch of runs, hit six, five home runs, whatever it was, in one game, record for the franchise. is going to have five hits. Like They're going to have those days. But then they're also going to have days where it's like, oh yeah, this team needs pitching. Because when the offense isn't there, they're not there. I think the biggest takeaways from the first two games of the Red Sox, and as we move into Game 3 tomorrow with Avaldi on the mound, and you made some good points there, is the, the Red Sox, the, their formula for winning, I don't think is that sustainable. Because both games, they went starting pitcher, Evald, uh, Erod and Sale went one inning plus, and then they had to use another starter in Nick Pavetta and Tana Houck, who... Combined through a perfect game over free starts, 27 up, 27 down. He's been disgusting, like I said, key to the postseason. Remember that? Disgusting. Comes out, saves game two for them. He was the key to that win. Pavetta in game one saves the bullpen, so how can them can do that in game two? That's just not sustainable. Like, Avaldi's on the mound. He's going to give you a good start. He feels like a lock. But then you go game four. We talked about this. Who do you go? You can't go Erod, Erod again, and then Pavetta already threw six innings. Houck already threw five innings. Like, besides Evaldi right now, the Red Sox have they have one starter. That's it. There's been two games played in this ALDS, and the Red Sox have used um, five starting pitchers: Eduardo Rodriguez, Chris Sale, Garrett Richards, Nick Pavetta, and Tanner Houck, just to get through two games. It's crazy. It's absolutely so, crazy. And they've used their bullpen, too. They've used the last end of their bullpen a, a good amount. Matt Barnes came in the game last night. He's so bad. So um, bad. So you can't imagine he's getting. I mean, he's an inning eater if there's a blowout is what he is. And he was the closer, best closer in the league, people were saying, at the beginning of the year. So that's insane. But what do you do is really the big question after Eovaldi. You're kind of done. So, so I think the you, only way for the Red Sox to win this series is Avaldi's got to shove tomorrow, obviously. But then you go back to Erod and Pavetta again. You just have to keep piggybacking starters yeah. for a five-game set. That won't work over a seven-game set, but hopefully Sale and Erod aren't as bad. But you have to go Erod, and then for this series, you piggyback. Erod and Pavetta pitch on the same day. Sale and Houck pitch on the same day. Yeah. And you have a backup starter for your starter in case your starter poops his pants, which they both did. 
but it's just such a different and interesting theory. So I like look at this series as we're tied 1-1, which I think is a huge win for the Red Sox, by the way. You leave. I watched game one, and the entire time we were broadcasting it or live streaming it, I said, oh, the offense, I'm not worried about the offense. They look good. And I did think they looked good in game one. They just had some bad outs or bad luck. And in game two, they looked great. Obviously, Water's going to find his level there, and they're just probably going to put up five runs a game is what I predict. Mm -hmm. But you have to also assume that the pitching won't be as bad. Heading back to Fenway, you have your best starter on the mound. At this point, winning two out of three, I don't think it's impossible. This is the best possible situation for the Red Sox. I mean, obviously, sweeping in Tampa would be great, but obviously, we're going back to Fenway with Eovaldi on the mound, tied 1-1. That's, I mean, really the best situation the Red Sox could be in, considering the game one whole debacle. I think the Red Sox ideal... I said Red Sox in five to start the series. Red Sox in five. I still think that's the case. I think Avaldi has to win his start or the series is over. They have to win tomorrow because I don't think they're going to win... Double bullpen day style. So Avaldi's got to shove tomorrow, which he's proven he can in the postseason. He's absolutely nails. So if you're a Tampa fan, I feel like you're not nervous, but you're a little bit like, oh, how did we get here after such a dominating game one performance where we outclassed them? It's interesting. And my last note on this series up to this point is how important J.D. Martinez is for the Red Sox. Just mm-hmm. him being like Mug Zanino had a postgame quote where he's like, when J.D. Martinez is in the lineup, we have to pitch the lineup entirely differently than when he's not. And it's crazy to think about someone's effect on a team like that, not even statistically, just the fact that, oh, we have to attack everybody else because we can't not attack J.D. We have to, like, work around J.D. because if you give him something to hit, he's going to kill you. And it's crazy. Yeah, yeah the w- saved the series literally is the only reason the Red Sox have a leg to stand up right now is after giving up five runs in the first from Chris Sale, they come back and just score runs. Like, if that didn't happen, like it didn't happen in the entire game one, we're screwed and we're we're sitting here down 0-2. So the offense has to be resilient and amazingly good. Like, you don't score 14 runs in the postseason. People don't really do that. So you just got to keep doing the impossible. You want to know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Game 3 against New York in 2018 when they went out to the Bronx and they scored like 20 runs on the Yankees and Brock Holt hit for a cycle. That's what the game reminded me of. But also, remember the game after? That's a statement game by the Red Sox. They were split Mm -hmm. 1-1 with the Yankees in the AODS. Everyone was kind of doubting, is this team as good as we are? They're heading back to New York. That was a statement game, and I think this game can serve as kind of a counter to that. That definitely, if you're in the Rays locker room and you're in the Red Sox locker room, momentum is completely switched now. The Red Sox say, oh, that team's beatable when they weren't in game one. And the Rays say, how are we 1-1 right now? Like that's a complete, and it's only a five-game set. If it was a seven-game set, I think the Rays win easily. Five games, you can piece it together and make something happen. Yeah. Let's hope that does happen. Next time we come on the podcast for the AL, I better be smiling. Oh, next time we come on a podcast in the AO, we're going to be talking about uh, Red Sox ALCS. So you just got to book that. It's true. This is a lot of fun, though. I'm having fun as a fan. Like, I'm genuinely starting to, like, buy in and go full fanboy on this team, and that's exciting. Yeah, we've gotten two postseason wins in the playoffs as Red Sox fans. Crazy. We did not expect that. It's a good night. It's a good day to happen. We can move on to the other series, though, unless you have any closing notes on the Rays and Red Sox, Jackie. 
Let's go to the Astros. Now, the Astros versus White Sox series itself has been anticlimactic for me for one reason. And that's because this is your alley, Jack, so I'll let you go off. They're in the middle of the afternoon. They're at like 2 and 3 p.m. Yeah, the, this series, it could be really interesting. If this was an 8 p.m. every night, it could be very exciting. But they're on at 4 or 2 p.m. Eastern for us, whatever that is for other people. I don't really know how time zones work. Never did, never will. You can't get me going for a 4 p.m. Astros game. It just, you can't. Like, there's so much excitement, but it's in the middle of the day. I can't, like, you can't crack a beer and be like, oh, let's see if the White Sox got it tonight. People are at work. They just get screwed over. And by the time the Rays and Red Sox game comes on, it's like, oh, everyone's sitting down on their couch with the family ready to watch the Red Sox play. I mean, we're on the East Coast. I'm not going to watch Tim, Craig Kimbrell suck at on 1 p.m. on a Sunday. I'm just uh, not. It's, the, it's such a difference because during the regular season games, day playoff games, fuel me. Like I love awesome. or day day baseball games are my favorite thing, but during yeah. the postseason, oh, it's so little hype for me. It, like I can't get in that mood at two p.m. Like I got stuff to do. Like I don't have the ability to sit down and watch nine innings of baseball. It's it's ah uh, it blows. It's such a weird like phenomenon because I mean if the Red Sox were playing in the middle of the day, we'd probably be into it. True, but you'd still the vibes are off. Is the best way to say it, I guess. Even though that sounds dumb, but like you can't. The postseason energy is under the lights. It and is. I, it can't be replicated in the daytime in Houston. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. I never liked day playoff games. I haven't been able to dial it in for them. But the series itself has been also kind of lopsided, which I think me and you both predicted. We kind of knew this would happen. Mm-hmm. The Astros are really freaking good, like especially yeah. in the ALDS every year. They always do this. They're a good team. They have the postseason experience. And they're up 2-0 on the White Sox heading to Chicago. And so far in the first two games, for me, it's just as I predicted. The White Sox are a really talented team. They have a lot of good players, and like they're well-run, extremely talented. But the Astros have just been there and done that. White Sox rally in game two, tie at 5-5. Astros four-run seventh, win the game. Yeah. It's like they're crazy efficient this time of year. They're the only baseball team who can like genuinely flip a switch. And make it happen. And you just go up and down. Correa, huge RBI double clutch. Kyle Tucker does his thing. Alex Bregman's making noise. It's like you start looking up and down that roster. And you're like, oh, there's just a bunch of guys who have been here and done it. And then you look at the White Sox. And they're already having questions about how their team's being run in the postseason. Yeah, Jordan Alvarez just beast, hits dude. nukes. Dude, he's a People beast. kind of forget about him. Yeah, and the White Sox, I mean, I feel bad for White Sox fans. They had such like a hyped up year. It was pretty fun, but there's something about it. I don't know if it's more to the Astros' gain or more in the fault of the White Sox. It feels like they don't have a chance. The Astros just show up, and it's like, yeah, they're going to sweep. Like, I predicted Astros in three. I think that's going to happen. The White Sox just seem like, even if they tried their best, they're just not going to beat the Astros. It was weird that this was the easiest series to predict when it may be two of the most, on paper, evenly matched teams. Yeah. But it's like the easiest series to know exactly what's going to happen. Just because, and that's more of a reflection on who the Astros are at this time of year than who the White Sox are. Like, we'll get into it later, but Lance McCullers Jr. comes out, friend of the pod, love you Lance, comes out game one, 
six and two thirds drops it on the mound. It's like, oh, well, that's a guarantee. We all knew that was going to happen. He just shoved against the White Sox. Astros steamroll and win. Altuve having an amazing slide at home. Alvarez hitting a bomb. Correa doing his thing. It's like, oh, well, we've seen this storyline over and over again. It's crazy. Yeah, they can, as you said before, they can just flip a switch and we're watching it happen. This series reminds me a lot of the um, that Astros A's last series year, last yeah. year. And it's just like, yeah, you're just showing. That series was in Dodger Stadium. It was so weird. But you're just showing that the Astros can just be like, yep, oh, oh, yeah, this it's 2017 all over again. They can play any brand of baseball, too. You want to have a slugfest? They can have a slugfest of you. Do you want to win 2-1? They can do it. I think the Astros' biggest thing is they're intimidating this series. Like, the White Sox might not admit it or no one will ever say it, but they're an intimidating team when you play against them. You step in, you show up to the ballpark, and you're like, oh, they all have rings. And then even if you get, like, mad that they cheated or something, you still, like, that rage will probably go against you, to be honest. They're just all calm, cool, collected. They've been in the moment. They've literally been through hell and back from the cheating scandal. They face the most hostile environments in the world, which definitely is going to help them this postseason. They've been on the biggest stage. They succeeded. They failed on the biggest stage. They've been through it all. They're so weathered as a team, and it's the us-against-the-world mentality the Dusty Baker, like, that's our dad out there energy. They have <laughs> everything working for them. They really do. And I think that is a huge point that people may be overlooking, or maybe not. This could just be not even close to true. But we saw Derek Cole get rattled. I don't know if he was rattled or whatever, but you would have to assume he was sh- shooken up by a Trimit the Frog puppet and some Boston <laughs> fans yelling at him. And then the Astros are hated by everyone. I mean, we did our fair share of hating on them when the time was right. And then they just come out and it fuels them. It like it doesn't feel like it fueled Derek Cole, but Correa, it you can see like you he has radiation around him. He's just like buzzing with adrenaline. It's crazy to think about the year and Again, a lot of people probably made this point, but it's kind of clicking to me. It's crazy to think about the shame tour and everything that they went through in a weird way is probably going to help propel them to a World Series, which is exactly what all the booing was trying to prevent. It's a weird, it's a weird thing to think about. Yeah, and I guess I do got to give the Astros cheated. We're not Astros fans. Oh, they cheated. But... I we got to give them credit for not blowing up the team. Like I was kind of like, you know, they're they're gonna suck now. Blow it up. They don't have any draft picks. They've just been really good for. I think this is like their fifth year of being really good. Every year they're really good. Last year they kind of sucked, but in the playoffs they went off. So it's like this core of the, the Astros just continues to kill it. Hypothetically, if the Astros won a World Series from 2017 to now, that'll be five straight ALCSs. Two World Series, three World Series appearances. That's a we look back that in history. The cheating scandal obviously gonna taint it, but you look back and they oh they won even after cheating. Changes this whole this World Series, like you said, they don't have draft picks for two years. I think it was last year and then this year. So they're destined to be a bad team in the upcoming future. It's just how baseball works. But this is their last crack at it, in my opinion. Correa's almost out the door. Verlander is going to be out the door. Always, always not on this team. Granky's probably out the door. Springer left last year. The roster is changing. This is like their time to like put a stamp on this era of Astros baseball. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna happen, dude. I've been saying it. I think they're gonna win. Do you think the White Sox get one? Uh 
Yeah. I think I wouldn't be surprised if it's Astros in four. Like the White Sox show everything but the kitchen sink at them in game three and they sneak mm-hmm. it out, but then you realize, oh, we have to do this two more times against this team. And yeah. that's just I don't see the Astros losing free of the next four games. Like or free of the next yeah, it's free of the next four games, right? Or the next three games they would have to lose. I'm stupid. They have to lose They'd have to lose the next three games. No, because there's only three more games left. So they'd have to get swept, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lose three out of three, yeah. Which Which, I just don't see. Yeah, I don't see that happening against a team like the Astros. So that's crazy. The last thing I want to talk about with the White Sox is just more of a rant of my own. And then we can just get into our last segment before we get out of here. Is the usage of Craig Kimbrell. And this infuriates me. Like, we saw Kimbrough here with Boston for, I think it was three seasons, 2016, 2017, 2018. Was he here for 2019, or did we trade him away? I forget. He was here for a while, though. I don't know. But we saw him pitch. I saw Craig Kimbrough pitch more saves than I could possibly count. Like, I've seen him in so many positions. And there's such a clear line on how to use Craig Kimbrough. And I remember when the White Sox traded for him. It was cool but weird. They traded their second baseman, Nick Madrigal, and we were all like, oh, the White Sox ballpen is insane. But also, you have two closers. What are you going to do there? And I'm just so confused on the whole philosophy and approach of how they use Craig Kimbrell. They're putting him in non-save situations. And from his time in Boston, it's so – Craig Kimbrell as a closer and Craig Craig Kimbrell as a reliever are two different guys. Entirely different. Yeah, I – it's such a weird roster build when you have Hendricks and Timbrell, two kind of like alpha closers, kind of battling it out. And I don't, I, I just, we should preface this saying Timbrell went in the game and gave up runs before the two, ninth inning. He gave up a two-run bomb. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be worse, but in the playoffs, you don't really want to give up a two-run bomb if you're Craig Timbrell. And last year we saw Liam Hendricks on the A's shove in the, like the fifth, sixth, seventh inning. Like he, that was his role. But now this year they're trying out Timbrel for that when they traded for Timbrel, a ninth inning classic guy. So it, we're really not, we don't have like information on this. Oh, like there's I have like stats. White Sox, but like White Sox fans probably have, like we didn't watch the White Sox all year long, but. From an outside glance, it kind of just, just like, why would you make that decision? Well, I can kind of tell why they – it's weird for me because Tony LaRusse is the manager, and he had a comment yesterday like, oh, well, that's not what Craig does. He's a closer. Liam Hendricks has been so freaking good in the ninth inning this year. Dominant. The best in the game. He's been killing it. So I understand the hesitation to move him out of that role because he's basically a guaranteed save every time he's on the mound right now. But – He's proven he can be a swingman in the past, like you referenced last year of Oakland. That's kind of yeah. why you gave him so much money, because he the biggest contract a reliever has ever gotten is because he has the ability to be that Andrew Miller, Devin Williams type guy. You can show him anytime you need, and he's going to get you outs. Craig Kimbrough is not that guy. During the course of his career, which many people would argue is a Hall of Fame closer career, the difference is in safe situations, he's pitched 422 innings to a 1.94 ERA. In non-save situations, 206 innings to a 2.67 ERA, his strikeouts-to-walk ratio is 1.5 difference when he's closing to when he's not closing. He goes from maybe one of a Hall of Fame closer, one of the best to ever do it, to just a reliever. That's just a mismanagement of assets. Like, put Kimbrough in the knife, or why trade for him? Yeah, 
I think Larusa is doing the best he could with Timberl and Hendricks. I think the big issue is trading for Timberl. Exactly. I also agree. I think it's a again a mismanagement of assets and also weird roster building. I don't think Larusa. I don't think it's Larusa's call to be honest. I think they're like the uh, front office is like put Hendricks in the ninth. Kimbrel's a great reliever, so he'll do good in whatever role you put him in. That's just taking out the human factor of baseball. Is there criticism to be had of Craig Kimbrel for not being able to pitch in the seventh or eighth inning? Probably. It's like, dude. You're one of the greatest to ever pitch in like in that role as a reliever. Couldn't you figure it out two innings before? But baseball's a weird sport. Baseball players are weird, dude. They have weird traditions, weird mentalities, and especially Tony closers. La Russa, exactly, closers are some weird cats, man. Tony Larusa being such an old school manager, you figured he would believe in that more than anybody else. Like everybody has their role on the team, and it just blows me away whenever I see them calling Kimbrel before the knife. I guess. I mean, some other, I'll back up maybe some White Sox fans here. For the White Sox this year, Timbrell had one save. Yeah, they just don't use him in that role, though. Like, I understand that. Go for it. But, I mean, he had four opportunities and one save with the White Sox. So, it. I guess he didn't, they didn't really use him all year long as a closer. Which I think is the reason why did you trade for him. Yeah, so I, I think... Like, it proved it in the playoffs, not why did you not use him as a closer, but why did you trade for him? We're going to go into this offseason if the White Sox get swept, and we're going to be like, you traded a really talented second baseman in Madrigal for a closer for half a season that you didn't use as a closer and got swept. Four attempts, one save. Traded. That's what you traded for. Why didn't you just, as soon as you get him, Hendricks, you're the seventh, you're the plug-and-play. He said it after they traded for Kimbrough. I'll be that guy. I'm fine with being that guy. And you'd imagine he's got the bag. He doesn't care about his stats anymore. He's just out there to throw. And, again, Hendricks has proven he can do it. It just blows me away, and it's the weirdest weirdest thing in the world. So, White Sox fans, if you're peeved at the world, at Kimbrough, at everybody, I understand. But... Don't be mad at Kimbrel because he's been a consistently that guy his whole career. Be mad at the people who put the Rays. What the Rays do so well is put their players in a position to succeed. The White yeah. Sox are just not doing that. No. And that's, I think that is a big part of why the vibe is so weird. This is the Astros. This is the Astros going to win. The White Sox don't have a chance. So we'll see what they can do. But I'm pitching Astros to pick up another win and go to the ALCS. We'll talk about an Astros Red Sox podcast next time, or AOCX next time we pod. Last thing I want to get to real quick, Jack, if you'll entertain me, is just, I think I said this in our last pod, is my theory on aces in the playoff, playoffs mm-hmm. and how I don't like it. Like when I have like an ace on the bump and all the pressures on that game. And just some interesting updates from people who started big games and to keep track of this story for just my own personal interest, to be honest. People, star pitchers who started in the playoffs so far. Chris Sale, one inning, four hits, five earned runs. Career, 7-2-7 ERA and 26 innings pitch in the postseason. Not really what you want to see no, from a guy good. who feels like he's balls, but not yeah. when it's October. Weird there. A couple other people. Garrett Cole, two innings, four hits, three earned runs, obviously. Max Scherzer only goes four in one third innings, gives up an earned run. Walker Buehler, 6.1, three earned runs. Lance Lynn, 3.2 innings pitched, five earned runs. And then guys... 
who like I personally feel like if you compared if you compared these rotations against each other, besides Corbin Burns, he went six innings shutty, you'd be like, Oh, I'd take the other guys in an October start any day. Avaldi five and one third, one earned run. Logan Webb. Talk about Giants history of great postseason pitching performances. Tim Lincecum, Madison Bumgarner. Now Logan Webb, seven and two thirds, zero earned runs. Charlie Moore in six innings, two earned runs. And then our boy Lance McCullers, 6.2 shutty. It's just also talk about a guy who loves October. 2.87 career ERA in the postseason. For Lance? He's nuts. Yeah, Lance in 54 yeah. innings pitched. That that Astros team is different. They they're, different. they're really built for October. They they're they're clutch. So with the ace thing, I think that I've definitely noticed that too. I mean, basically Cole and Sale, the biggest ones that stand out. And they kind of they were bad. They didn't have it. But the, the with the ones like Scherzer, that one's an even, easy one. Yeah, ones like that, it makes me wonder is it more the bullpen is changing. Like the way you use the bullpen is changing where feels like this season, everyone's had a quick hook. Even like 2019, Scherzer and Derek Cole were going eight innings every time they started. And like, oh, we sure. haven't really seen that. The max has really been seven. You saw that with Evaldi and Webb. Evaldi was at like 79 pitches, absolutely dealing. Corey yanked him out. Almost, if it wasn't for the Green Monster, that move would have backfired and the Red Sox might be out of the playoffs. And yeah. Logan Webb had 80 pitches through almost the eighth inning. He could have easily thrown a complete game. One base runner on, they pulled him. And the guy was yeah. dealing. I've really noticed that so far. And we'll get to the NL um, on the next pod. But especially in the AL, it's like, or lead wide, quick hook. And it's like, the it's the Rays influence, kind of that whole bullpen, pull them early. It, it's weird. It's shocking. But no one has just let their starter ride. And I honestly don't love it. See, like, I wouldn't have pulled Webb last night when he was in the game. We'll talk about that tomorrow on tomorrow's podcast. I wouldn't have pulled Avaldi when he was pitching, and I think Cora admitted in his post game. He was like, yeah, that almost burned us. That was a bad choice. So it's like it's a very weird dynamic to watch how October baseball has evolved because the emphasis is still on starting pitching. It's just starting yeah. pitchers as relievers. Yeah, you can. the pitchers are – there's not – you don't have to go seven, but your ace – have a middle guy, and then an awesome closer. You just get through the game. And that might be a reflection on why the game, like people like Craig Kimbrell just really don't have a great place in the sport anymore. Like you have to be Mm -hmm. flexible in this game. Like you can't be like, this is my role. We're sorry, Craig. This was a rough pod for Craig. I love Kimbrell, but it's just, you know, we got to be honest here. That about wraps us up. I'm going to keep us updated on that storyline just for myself because I like to see how Aces perform in October. It's fun to watch. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with an NLDS preview recapping the first two games of both the Braves and the Brewers and the Dodgers and the Giants. For this postseason, obviously, if you're listening, this might not matter to you. But for the next couple pods, we're probably not going to be doing a YouTube version to make sure we can get these up as quick as possible so you guys can keep stay updated with the playoffs. If you guys want more updates on what we're doing, again, patreon.com slash we got ice help support the show there. Instagram, we got ice baseball for all the mo- news and stuff. Twitter, we got ice BB. And we'll be back tomorrow with the NLDS recap. Jack, have a good day. Take it easy. Stay chilly, guys. Peace. <laughs>